1 Samuel marks an important turning point in Israel's history. They rejected God as their king and demanded a human king like all the other nations. This led to Saul, Israel's first king, and his pathetic leadership. King Saul's rise and notorious fall is more tragic than a Shakespeare play. Nations and individuals regularly face turning points that lead to tragedy or triumph. Which way will America turn? Which way will you turn? If the turning point is significant enough, some say there is no turning back. Fortunately, in this life, it is never too late to turn back to God. Thankfully, the Lord stands ready and willing to forgive us and welcome us home when we turn back to Him in genuine repentance. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. When making decisions about how you will live your life, do you follow the rebellious crowd or the risen Christ? Hi, I'm Brian Davis, and this is Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. Throughout history, people and at times entire nations have abandoned the Christian principles they once held dear. America has done it. So too did Israel when it asked God to step down as their king so they could anoint a human king. That story comes your way next as Ron continues his teaching series, Route 66, the ultimate road trip through the Bible. Stay with us now or drop by somethinggoodradio.org to listen to the broadcast on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. And remember to subscribe to our podcast at Spotify, at Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here's Ron with today's Something Good Radio message, First Samuel, which way will you turn? This week, a major evangelical adoption agency reached a turning point. Did you hear about this? Bethany Christian Services, the largest organization of its kind in the United States, announced that it would begin offering their adoption services to gay couples nationwide. This was a huge, huge decision. According to the New York Times, the decision announced by Chris Paluski, the President and Chief Executive Officer of Bethany Christian Services, comes at a time when more cities and states require adoption agencies to accept applications from same-sex couples or risk losing government contracts. Now read between the lines here, I think the mistake that Bethany Christian Services probably made years ago was they started accepting or offering their services, their adoption services and foster care services through government contracts. Once you do that, (laughs) the government will eventually tell you this is how it's gonna be. And that day has come. It's interesting that this announcement also uh, sort of coincides with this administration's push to pass what's called the Equality Act. Have you been paying attention to the news? I'm not trying to get political this morning, but when world events and headlines intersect our faith, we need to be as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves. And the Equality Act my opinion, the opinion of others, weakens the First Amendment, destroys religious liberty, and ignores long-standing rights of conscience in constitutional law. And it's a turning point in our nation. 
and in your life and in my life and in the life of our church. I've been saying for several years now, ultimately, every single follower of Jesus Christ, everyone who names the name of Christ, will have to decide where he or she stands in relation to demands made by today's moral revolutionaries. And that day has come. Uh, What's true for you as an individual and me as an individual is true for churches, religious schools, denominations, Christian organizations, and yes, Christian adoption and foster care agencies. Mark my word, the turning point has come in America And that turning point has come to the church, and that turning point has come to your front doorstep and my front doorstep. The question is, which way will we turn? And you say, Pastor, come on, what does this have to do with the ultimate road trip through the Bible? Well, incidentally, uh, this is the perfect time, the perfect week to make our turn into the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel because... 1 Samuel records a time in Israel's history when she faced her own moral and spiritual turning point. By the way, a turning point is defined as a point at which a significant change occurs. And if the change is significant enough, some might even suggest there is no turning back. Well, here we are in the book of 1 Samuel. And let's just take a 30,000-foot view of it. Take a look at the notes that we provide you and uh, that chart and you'll see that there are three main characters that emerge in Israel's history at this time. Uh, There is a transition taking place between the time of the judges to the introduction of the prophets and the kings, but those three main characters are Samuel, Saul, and David. There's a transitioning happening in Israel's history from a theocracy where God was their king and a monarchy where they said, we wanna be like all the other Uh, nations here. Remember that for 350 years leading up to this time, Israel endured much turmoil as a nation of loosely affiliated tribes led by various judges who administered justice and delivered the people from uh, their enemies. And again, God always intended, though he was invisible, he always intended to be Israel's king. However, God's people grew weary And they wanted to be like the other nations who had a visible king. And this displeased Samuel. And he took his displeasure to the Lord in prayer. And in chapter 8, let's fast forward to chapter 8, verse 9. It says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Now this marked a significant turning point in the national life of Israel where they rejected God as their king. And they said, we want to be like all the other nations who have a visible king. We want flesh and blood on our king. 
And in doing so, they chose God's second best. They chose his permissive will, not his perfect will. And there is instruction for us uh, even here today. It illustrates how we can reach a point of such stubborn rebellion against God that he will let us go our own way to endure the consequences of our own poor choices. Now the Lord said to Samuel, Samuel, do what they tell you they wanna do. Just give them their king, but warn them. Warn them about how harshly these kings will treat them. And uh, Samuel brought the warning. You can read about it there in chapter eight. And afterwards it says, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. They didn't listen to him. They didn't wanna listen to him. They wanted to be like all the other nations. And that's when the Lord uh, instructed Samuel to put plans in place to anoint Israel's first king. Now what's interesting, when you read chapter eight and you, you, you see the turning point here, there's nothing whimsical about the decision that they made here. You would expect that these demands for their own king would come from some rambunctious rabble, some mob that was making the demands. No, this, this came as a result of the thoughtful deliberation of Israel's elders who had gathered to consider the nation's future. Are you kidding me? These were the leaders. And they got together and through very thoughtful and somber deliberation, uh, they decided it was best now uh, to step out from under a theocracy where God was their king and to uh, usher in a monarchy. In fact, they used Samuel as an excuse. They said, oh, you know, come on, guy. You're, you're getting old now, old man, and your, your sons don't follow in your ways. And they used that as an excuse to turn away from God and to follow the crowd, to follow the culture, okay? Which is always a dangerous thing to do. I hope you're not a crowd follower. Don't you remember when your mom or your dad looked at you and said, well, if the crowd jumped off the cliff, are you gonna do it too? <laughs> yeah, I will. Crowd followers, culture followers, people who go along to get along. Oh, it's a dangerous pathway to follow. In fact, Jesus said as much in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter seven, he says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are, are many. Yeah, it's like, it's like a, a large, uh, you know, uh, eight-lane superhighway, the wide gate is. It needs to be that wide, because everybody's going that direction. And then Jesus said, um, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Which way will you turn? Which way does a nation go when it reaches a turning point? Uh, will you follow the crowd or will you follow Christ? Don't go away. We're only about halfway through today's message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And today's teaching is part of Ron's series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Hello, friend. I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio. All scripture is profitable for teaching and reproof. But let's face it, God gave us a lot of scripture. 
66 books and more than 600,000 words, and it can sometimes be a little overwhelming to read. That's why I wrote my new book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, to help you navigate your way through the highways and byways of God's Word and see how it all fits together so brilliantly, how every path, every passage, and every page points to Jesus, who is the Christ. The book comes in two volumes. Volume one covers the 39 books of the Old Testament, while volume two takes you through each of the 27 New Testament books. Both are now available to order, and I'd love to send them to you today. Here's Brian with details. The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volume 1 and 2 can be yours today by request for your gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of Something Good. When you order the print versions, you'll also get instant access to the Route 66 Digital Library, a $275 value. The online library includes electronic versions of the book, plus video sermons, audio messages, and downloadable sermon notes on all 66 books of the Bible. Visit somethinggoodradio.org to request the two-volume set and to gain immediate access to the Route 66 digital library. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Pastor Ron, there are so many good books published every year. Why should someone buy The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible? And who did you have in mind when you wrote these literary travel guides through the Old and New Testaments? You know, Brian, your questions make me think of the words of wise Solomon in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 12. Of the making of many books, he writes, there is no end. And oh, how true that is. For what it's worth, as a Bible teaching pastor for more than 30 years, the ultimate road trip through the Bible is my way of helping people understand the overall story of Scripture and how all 66 books of the Bible fit together into a unified work of the Holy Spirit. I wrote with all kinds of people in mind, starting with the serious Bible student, even those who teach the Bible. I'm thinking of pastors, Sunday school teachers, and small group Bible study leaders who might use these two volumes in their preparation. But I also wrote for the person who is just getting acquainted with the Bible, which we all know is the best-selling book of all time. Brian, you can read The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible from beginning to end like any other book, or place it in your Bible study toolbox. I know that if you're a lifelong learner of God's Word as I am, you will return to the ultimate road trip through the Bible repeatedly. As companions to your personal Bible study, these books will always help you see the big picture before you dive into the details of any book of the Bible. And that's why I'll be ordering my own copy. Pastor Ron, we're so glad you decided to share this important book with us. And you can get your copy today by going to somethinggoodradio.org. Both volumes of this great resource are yours as our way of saying thanks when you make a gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of Something Good. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757-276-1099 or you can mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. Israel found itself at a crossroads, a turning point in which they didn't merely ask for a human king, they demanded one. Here's Dr. Ron Jones with the rest of today's Something Good radio message. First Samuel, which way will you turn? Now, First Samuel marks a significant turning point in the nation of Israel as a whole. 
But when you start reading through the book, there are certain characters that emerge and smaller um, other you know, turning points that we can talk about. They have to do with characters like Samuel and Saul and David and some others. For example, and now I'm going from chapter eight kind of backwards to chapters uh, one through seven. Uh, one example are the sons of Eli. At this time, Eli was the high priest and he had uh, two treacherous sons named Hophni and Phinehas. They grew up in a pastor's home, we might say. They grew up in a priest's home, and as they became of age, they started serving as priests at Shiloh, which was the place of worship. And um, they reached a turning point, and they turned away from God and toward personal profit and pleasure. In fact, the brazenness with which they uh, engaged in immorality with the women who came to Shiloh for worship earned them the title, and the Lord called them this, worthless men. Oh, what a, what a story in and of itself there. Um, Hophni and Phinehas. On a more positive note, chapters one and two includes the story of Hannah. Hannah was uh, Samuel's mother. And her story, boy, it's, it's, it's worth reading just chapters one and two of the book of Samuel. She turned to God in sorrow and begged him to open her barren womb. She was, just had sorrow upon sorrow because she could not have a child. And in time, God answered her prayer with a baby boy. Uh, this was Samuel. Hannah dedicated her child to the Lord just as she promised the Lord that she would do. And then she wrote a beautiful song of praise. It's recorded in chapter 2 of, of 1 Samuel, and if you lay it alongside Mary's Magnificat that we look at during the Christmas season in the early chapters of Luke, uh, you'll see some parallels. I always say Mary knew the Word of God well because it sounds like she's drawing from Hannah's song of praise there. It's worth noting that Samuel grew up at Shiloh the place of worship. He, he grew up in the vicinity of Hophni and Phinehas as they were sowing their wild oats, and you would think that their bad example would rub off on Samuel, but it didn't, thankfully. In fact, it was there at Samuel, while Hophni and Phinehas were doing their thing, that Samuel, you can read about this in chapter three, learns to discern the voice of God, and it's a fabulous read. It reminds me of the time when Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Do you know how to discern the voice of God? It starts by saturating your mind and your heart with the word of God, the written word. And God speaks to us, the writer of Hebrews says, in these last days through the living word who is Jesus Christ. We could also dis discuss those mysterious inner promptings of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And he, he always speaks to our spirit in concert with the word of God. Samuel learned that at a very early age. And you can read about that in chapter three. He grew up to be a towering, towering figure in uh, Israel's religious life. And there's really nothing negative you can say about him. David went on to become uh, Israel's greatest king. And well, we, we know David's foibles, you know, Bathsheba and all of that. Uh, the worst that you can say about Samuel is that his sons did not follow in the ways of the Lord. And maybe that's a little black mark on his, uh, his parenting. But as I always say to parents, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can lead your kids to the water of life, but you can't make them drink, right? At one point, they make their own decisions. And that was Samuel. Um, Samuel also, um, he, well, he was the last of the judges and the first of the prophets. And uh, 
Some even say that he, he started a school for prophets. Moses was called a prophet, but, but the organized school of prophets that God raised up at this time started with Samuel. And um, he was clean of, of scandal. Uh, he was a man who, uh, as the last judge, uh, helped Israel defeat some of her arch, arch enemies, like the Philistines. The Philistines had captured the Ark of the Covenant. It was a huge thing back then. And Samuel led the charge on defeating the Philistines and uh, retrieving the Ark of the Covenant. And when the Lord gave them help in defeating their enemies, the Bible says that uh, Samuel erected a memorial stone and called it Ebenezer. It means the stone of help. Some of you who may have grown up in the church remember uh, an old Christian hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, and the second uh, stanza says, Here I raise my Ebenezer. I used to think, who or what is an Ebenezer? Well, somebody explain this, and nobody ever did. But I know it's now related to 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12, where Samuel raised a stone of remembrance so that everybody would pass that stone and, and they'd have conversations and they'd say, oh, this was the time and the place where God helped Israel defeat her enemies. We, we need memories like that, don't we? Uh, there's a lot more to Samuel's uh, very significant ministry. He doesn't uh, die until chapter 25 in a, in a book that has 31 chapters, but his farewell address to the people of Israel is worth reading in chapter 12. And there, um, Samuel is, is he's an old man, he's experienced in the ways of God, he's, he's surrounded by his family and his sons, he defends the integrity of his ministry, he reviews the righteous deeds that the Lord did for them, he prays for them, and then he instructs the people in the good and right way. And, and in verse 23, he says this, far be it from me that I should sin against God by ceasing to pray for you. Wow, that's, that's a takeaway right there from Samuel's life. Samuel highlights for us, are you ready for this? The sin of prayerlessness in the life of a spiritual leader. That could be related to a pastor or um, an elder, a deacon, a lay volunteer. Do you have somebody, maybe some little ones that are under your shepherding care Learn from Samuel to pray for those who are under your shepherding care. Don't, don't fall into the sin of prayerlessness. Somebody once said that uh, a man of God or woman of God will rise in proportion to the time he or she spends on their knees. And that's certainly true of Samuel. Towering, towering figure in, in, in Israel's religious life. And he was a man of prayer. Not so was Saul. And we pick up the story of Israel's first king, King Saul, beginning in chapter 8. And we run through about chapter 15. Saul was not known as a man of prayer, nor was he ever described as a man after God's own heart. Now that description went to uh, Saul's successor, a young shepherd boy named, uh, named David. The rise and fall of King Saul is one of the most uh, tragic tales in the Bible. Uh, the story of this pathetic man who became Israel's first king. Saul was the people's choice, not God's choice. Remember, God had always wanted to be her king, Israel's king. And they grew weary and they said, no, no, we don't want that anymore. We don't want to be under the authority of God. We want to create our own monarchy here.
It was never God's intention for Israel to have a human king, but when they persisted, he relented. Word to the wise today, be careful what you wish for. You might just get it. Thanks so much for being here for today's Something Good radio message, 1 Samuel, Which Way Will You Turn? Visit somethinggoodradio.org to hear any of Dr. Ron Jones' messages on demand or to contact us for prayer. That's somethinggoodradio.org. You'll, you'll know the will of God in direct relation to how well you know the Word of God. And as it uh, governs your heart and trains your conscience, you'll be able to know what's God's perfect will as opposed to His permissive will. But choose His best, not His second best. That's next time in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, First Samuel, Which Way Will You Turn? Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the whole team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.